Hey everybody, happy Memorial Day to you, here on this, uh, what day is it today, Monday the 30th, 2016, you're probably saying, Luke, your beard looks like trash, you haven't slept well, yes, uh, you'd be correct, my AC broke in my, my central AC unit broke in my home yesterday, um, and they can't, they, well, I don't know if they can't fix it, but no one will really come until Tuesday, so that's going to be fun, um, and probably, I'm sure, very inexpensive to repair, so it's not been all that great around this house, and uh, and I'm working on Memorial Day, which is great. Uh, all right, well, enough with the complaining. Thank you so much for watching. Today is the Monday Morning Analyst. Uh, we're going to take a look at last night's UFC Fight Night 88, a fun card, actually, a uh, card that featured just how great the bantamweights are. A um, couple of housekeeping notes before we get to that real quickly. Uh, if you follow Gunnar Nelson or John Cavanaugh, on Twitter, you saw that they shared, I think on Friday or Saturday, um, a SoundCloud clip um, from Gunnar Nelson being on my radio show on Sirius XM, talking about the choke that he used to put away Tumanov. Remember we talked about it on here, and I, that there was probably some kind of way in which he did that was very specialized and direct, and he talked about it. So I'm going to put that in the comments. You can check that out. I'm going to mention this later as well, but I'm going to put an article that Jack Slack wrote on shifting in boxing. We're going to put that in the comments too, so be uh, sure to look out for those. That should be fun. Um, and uh, thank you to everyone who listened to the clip and shared it. It blew up. Really appreciate that. So folks always ask me, how can I listen to your radio show? Well, you really can't unless you're a Sirius XM subscriber, but I make as much stuff free as I can, and I made that clip about Gunnar Nelson talking about the choke free. So give that a look in the comments. That'd be kind of cool. All right, uh, very simple. Last night's UFC Fight Night 88, UFC Fight Night Almeida versus Garbrandt. This took place at the Mandalay Bay Events Center, which is Mandalay Bay, my favorite casino in Las Vegas. Um, the attendance was 5,193, which is not a lot. And the gate was 359000 which is also not a lot. But it's a Fight Night event. Um, I don't know how much you could reasonably expect. All right, in the main event, Cody Garbrandt took on Thomas Almeida and won at 253 of the first round with punches. We will take a look at this fight such that we can in the second segment. Uh, let me just say real quickly, this reminded me, it's not quite the same, but this reminded me in terms of a contender versus contender fight that had... You know, does this fight have title implications? I don't think so, which makes this different than what I'm about to say. But it just reminded me of GSP's win over Frank Trigg, where you had this top contender versus another top contender, and the winner had real title implications. Now, this fight missed that. Again, the title implications. But in terms of one contender just mowing down another and creating this incredibly emphatic experience, um, yeah, Cody Garbrandt, just hats off to him. Tremendous, tremendous stuff. Put his foot on the gas because he knew he needed to and never took it off until the referee made him. Um, the right kind of fight, the right kind of moment. He seemed dialed in the whole time. I had him on my show on the Friday before, and he, you know I still picked against him. Only because I thought, like, even if you picked Almeida, you had to know he was going to get chewed up early, right? You had to know. But then I think if you picked Almeida, you were probably saying to yourself, okay, he's going to get chewed up early, but maybe he can survive. And once he does, he can make adjustments. That's actually one of the things that Almeida does. He makes good adjustments. Garbrandt never let him. Garbrandt never let him get close to having the ability to make adjustments. You go back through and you watch some of these slides that we're going to take a look at. There's never a moment where he's returning fire or, you know, doing something differently. He's just reacting to what Cody Garbrandt is doing. So really top-notch performance from him. Fantastic. Congrats to him. Uh, Jeremy Stevens taking on Henan Barrow. This is a firefight. 29-28, 29-28, 29-28. Uh, I thought the scoring was fair. Stevens just giving... You know, look, I'll be honest. I thought Barrow coming up, I thought he would be done. I thought the beatings that he had absorbed at the hands of TJ Dillashaw had both compromised his chin and generally his sort of like ability not not just to take a shot on his chin but just to withstand the the pressure of being in a fighter and that that was a bit premature but now we actually have to ask a really important question he lost three of his last four and in those three has taken a tremendous amount of damage now jeremy stevens didn't ko or tko him which tells you a lot about tj dillashaw but um, nevertheless, Dillashaw in that first fight put it on him. Dillashaw in that second fight put it on him. And in this one, certainly Burrell had his moments, no doubt about it, but he also took some heavy, heavy punches from a big puncher. So for me, maybe I was premature about this one, although I picked Stevens to win. Maybe I was premature in writing off Burrell, but now the question I feel like 
is still just as present given everything that's going on. So something to keep in mind as they move forward. Uh, Rick Story defeating Tarek Sa- or Tarek Safadine, 30-27, 29-28, 29-28. Rick Story did the right thing here, you know, not really giving Safadine any distance. Even if he wasn't necessarily doing a whole lot on the fence, he was much better off there. Um, kind of a boring fight, but an important one for Rick Story. And, you know, Tarek Safadine, you look at his career, that big one he had over Nate Marquardt, he's obviously had some fun performances since then. But he's really had an inability to beat some very high-level guys. He gets a chance to beat him. He doesn't do all that great. So um, something to keep in mind about the future of his matchmaking. Chris Camozzi. Uh, also, I thought Story was going to win that one too. Chris Camozzi. This one I got wrong, however. Defeated Vitor Miranda, 30-27 across the board. Miranda was never in this. You know, But Miranda had been looking pretty good in his last couple of fights. Really good takedown defense and just this... Um, precise yet bulldozing Muay Thai, and there was just none of that. Kamozi never let him. Kamozi backed him up the whole time on the ground, clearly superior to him. There was a couple of times, you know, um, Miranda was able to, like, recapture guard, but not not much more than that. Um, it was a very lackluster performance by him. Chris Kamozi, really sharp striking, precise. He mentioned in this post-fight interview he didn't take a ton of damage. He's right. He stayed out a lot of the bombs. He just always had Miranda on the back foot. Really good job by him. And this was the fight of the, of the, of the whole card, if you ask me. Lorenz Larkin defeating Jorge Masvidal. Split decision, 29-28, 28-29, 29-28. I scored a 29-28 for Larkin. This was just tremendous. This fight had everything. It had striking at distance. It had, uh, you know, Brian Stan really noting that these guys would faint one way, faint another, elicit a reaction, and then, you know, force someone out of position or force someone's hands to drop an inch or force someone to move a foot a certain way, and then they would light the other one on fire. That was mostly Larkin doing that. I thought Larkin's speed, and essentially he's just a lot more proactive with his offense. I think that made the difference in the end. You saw in that third round the well-rounded abilities of Masvidal, especially with that standing guillotine that... I don't know how close it got, but it certainly forced some reactions out of Lorenz Larkin. Um, you saw that he's a much more well-rounded fighter, but this is the first time, and again, I thought Larkin would win this one too, albeit reluctantly. I, I've been picking, you know, Masvidal, I think for the wrong reasons. Now, I thought he won that Iaquinta fight. Um, what do you want to say about the Benson-Henderson fight? I don't know, but oftentimes I will pick the guy who is more talented, or at least has more ways to win, and Masvidal has a lot of ways to win, but I don't think he just... Larkin doesn't have as many ways to win. But in the ways he does have to win, he just applies it more. And I think that is something that folks should keep in mind, including me. Uh, Now, I thought Larkin would win this one, and he did. Because I've just been like... Masvidal just doesn't quite step on the gas as much as he should. Um, And it's not like he's out there taking rounds off. It's just he's... The other guys are leading just a little bit. And so that's why he's losing by these tiny margins. But unbelievable job by Lorenz Larkin. His ability to switch stance and explode into a lead uh, lead hand uppercut was just incredible. Um, both guys doing tremendous displays of uh, body kicks, uh, using kicks at the end of combinations. Um, it was just amazing. It was amazing what they were able to do. Paul Felder defeating Josh Berkman, 29-28, 29-28, and again, 29-28. Uh, Berkman's a tough customer. He won that first round. I actually thought he had some really good boxing in the first. But as you saw, Felder taking over. You know, when Felder throws in combination, he's very hard to deal with. And maybe he doesn't do that enough. Um, but the variety of, of, of his strikes, you know, he'll slip a punch. And then rather than, like, push away or pivot on an angle and try and throw a, a punch inside or a punch outside, he'll just drive a knee forward and then shove. Like, he's just got a lot of different weapons. That elbow he landed in the third against the fence just cracking uh, Josh Bark- Berkman's nose. You know, Berkman can take a shot, man. Wow, is he tough. Whoa. Um, but this is a situation where I feel like a guy like Felder um, – Probably has more tools in the striking department and really brought those to bear. Good wrestling uh, and takedown defense, uh, at least from Felder. Or at least, I should say, improved, right? Uh, okay, we move to the preliminary card. I don't know what happened here. Sarah McMahon defeating Jessica I, unanimous decision, 30-27. For me, it just seemed like I was way too concerned about what McMahon was going to do. Now, McMahon had a couple of, again, shifting combinations that were landing with that right, either as a straight or a hook. Um, but... That was it. Like after that, she would just sort of try and tie someone up and then do something else. It wasn't like she was striking at these prolonged intervals. And I just seemed incredibly defensive. You know, just totally worried about the takedown. Then you could see, well, she was getting taken down. But if you're going to go out, man, just go out at least trying to land a shot and then maybe force a scramble on a hurt opponent. 
rather than just waiting, 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 and then trying to do things to avoid the takedown, or if the takedown comes, just kind of like holding on for guard or something. Um, Jessica I is a better fighter than she showed. I know that. But this was just a really bad performance by her. And this puts her in a really tough career situation. Let me look at her record real quickly. You know, this was a bit of a do-or-die fight for both ladies, unfortunately. And, you know, you hate to see people in these kinds of positions. But, yeah, I mean, Jessica I, you know, she's lost four of her last five. Um, this is not great. Her only win is over Leslie Smith. She lost to Misha Tate. She lost to Juliana Pena. No harm, no shame there. But then Sarah McMahon just looked really bad, just didn't there just was nothing to say about it uh Abel Trujillo defeating Jordan Rinaldi 29-28 Rinaldi having a bit of a good guard right spinning for that arm bar holding it um finally Trujillo doing the right thing when guys separate that's when someone can extend their own hips into the arm you want to actually crunch them in so they can't separate and then slowly wiggle your elbow free that's what you want right uh, and he eventually did that but you know Trujillo showing a little bit of that suspect cardio he's known for but he's got athleticism and he can bounce. Um, you know, Rinaldi just kind of faded at the end there against the, I think, the strength and the wrestling of Abel Trujillo. But uh, showing a lot of, uh, of reason for optimism, I'll say. Uh, Jake Collier defeating Alberto Uda via TKO and spinning back kick. You know, Uda just shattering his nose, which you could hear in the replay uh, or even during the broadcast itself. Collier staying in there, staying tough. Um... I didn't think he was getting bullied too much in the clinch, but I think he got a little lazy. He didn't didn't need, he needed to tighten things up. Comes out in that second round and just sort of puts it behind him. Throws you know feints, throws the spinning back fist, clinched him up. Was the one attacking first, establishing control, and then went back to that spinning back kick and it landed. You know, not quite as nice as Loazzo on Chainsaw Charles McCarthy, but a very nice spinning back kick. Uh, you know, closing the show with it. That's uh, really excellent stuff. But just the the will and determination that Collier showed. Uh, very, very impressive. Uh, Eric Koch, man, like he was shot out of a cannon, defeating Shane Campbell at 3.02 of the second round via rear naked choke. Koch, I mean, the body language, I mentioned this on Twitter beforehand, just showed you one guy was ready to rock, and one guy, you know, seemed confident, but um, not the same thing. Koch basically won everywhere. He did get, I think he got hit with a right at the beginning of the second, but, you know, immediately scrambled to the right kind of, you know, counter move by going into, um, you know, wrestling mode. And once he got there, he just sort of handled Shane Campbell on the ground, but I thought you know his combinations were on point. He was mixing it up. He was playing with the distance properly. He was never really getting into too much trouble. He was strong in the clinch. Uh, and again, on the floor, it, it, Campbell had nothing for him, uh, ultimately securing the choke. Really good return performance for Eric Koch. Brian Caraway defeating Aljamain Sterling via split decision. I don't agree with that. At most, you could have given it a 10-8 for Sterling in the first round, but even that, I think, uh, on review is a little bit generous. Um, but for sure, Caraway won the last two rounds. We'll talk more about that in the second segment since that was a big hyped fight for Fight Pass. And then Adam Milstead defeating Chris De La Rocha via uh, TKO punches at 4-1 of the second round. Let me just say something about this fight in terms of the referee, Chris Tyone. Um, what an excellent job of stopping the fight by him because you had De La Rocha on his feet protesting that the fight was going to be stopped. How could you do this? What are you doing? The fact is, that's what I call a mercy stop. I just want something, someone is taking a tremendous beating. They're not really dishing any of it back. And the question is, do you really want to just wait for a miracle shot to happen? Or do you want to say, you're going to live to fight another day, but I can't be witness to the savagery. Um, I, I respect the decision he made. I wish more referees made it. I think it's absolutely the right call. Okay, so that was the card there. Last two fights were on Fight Pass. Um, let's take a look at first Caraway versus Sterling. And just how, you know, the veteran savvy of Caraway knowing to weather their storm and pick his spots, finding a weakness and exploiting it, not doing anything super fancy, but not needing to, just being really consistent with his fundamentals. We'll see that. And then we'll take a look at just a couple of the things that Cody Garbrandt did against Thomas Almeida. Not a ton of footage, um, but maybe just enough to get an idea of how he won that fight. Really, really good stuff from both of those guys. Um, let's take a look at that in the second segment. All right, here we are, guys. First round of... Caraway versus Sterling. So we know how this fight went. Um, you can argue about whether the first round deserved 10-8 in favor of Sterling. Scored a 10-8 in real time. Looking back on it, I don't know that I would do that a second time, but um, whatever. You get the idea. So two rounds to one for Caraway is basically why he won. But let's take a look at what happens here. Here's the general overview that I have of this fight. Um, some might say Sterling got outgrappled, and to an extent he certainly did, right? I mean, 
there's no denying what happened in, again, those second and third rounds. But to me, what this more looks like is that neither guy's defense against the other guy's offense is all that great. What it comes down to is who is more able to consistently apply their offense. I really wonder how much of Sterling was simply an exhaustion issue um, or an application of strategy issue. It doesn't look to me necessarily, I mean, yes, he doesn't necessarily have all the skills to handle from a defensive standpoint, Caraway, but the, the same can be said of Caraway here. So, look, here's what I mean. So, we start things off in the first round, and you see Sterling backs Caraway up, and he's looking for a single leg. Now, you can see he's he looks like he's deep on the single leg, but he's not really. You kind of want to have, you know, their knee between your legs to the extent possible. You want to be really deep on a single leg to get it to work, especially if you're going to try and run the pipe or something like that. There are many single leg finishes, but even if you're not... Even if you're going to do like a treetop or an outside trip or on the back of the foot, something, you've got to be really deep on it. If you can see their knee, it's going to be hard. Not saying it can't get done, it's just kind of hard. Um, and so you can see he's not really all that deep here, and they're kind of hand fighting a little bit. you got Caraway pulling up on him, I think doing some wrist control on this side here. So let's see where this goes, and we can make a better judgment of what, what he does here. Now you can see this is very shallow. Um, you got to really be up on it. And you're going to see what the difference here because actually Caraway's single leg takedown that he gets, I think, in the beginning of the third round is very deep. You got to really have you look at me, look at your back and your chest, everything. It's got to be on top of that leg. It's going to be really on top. You got to have your shoulders dug deep into their hip. You got to be really on top of it because you're going to bring your chest weight down on it as you spin. You can see here there's just a blockade. With the gloves of uh, and the arms of Caraway, he can't really get in on it. He can't really get his weight on top of it. Now you can't, if you Caraway, be careless here or just run away. But just understand this was a, probably going to go nowhere, and it doesn't. You can actually see that the leg is still here. Look, look, you can see the knee on the belly here almost. Like this is not going to work. He's pulling him up with his own arm here. Caraway is. Um, he's preventing him from closing the space. So this is not going to work. Now again. Caraway still, you know, I'm putting up air quotes, trapped, but uh, he's probably not going to get taken down with a single leg here. And that's just fine by Sterling. I actually think this is a really interesting and fun little takedown he gets here. So he tries to then go back down and level change. Now, this is what you want to pay attention to. If you're looking at this, and I'm me, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, what am I looking for here? Well, can he get his hands clasped behind him? You know, is he going to do a high crotch lift? What's he going to do? I'm actually going to watch the left elbow of Caraway, because what you're going to find sterling do is he's going to push it up and then get behind it watch here's what i mean as long as caraway has you can see his left arm here as long as he's got this here and he can pull up on it or at minimum provide a blockade again this takedown's really going to be very very difficult to get and as you can see he's already dropped the left leg now so now it's a, he'd have to go back to a single leg but it'd have to be a different variety he lost the one he was working on but watch this. He's going to kind of angle out. He's going to push. And what he's going to do is he's going to dig his shoulders underneath to get the elbow behind. Why? Because once the elbow is behind, it essentially becomes just part of the torso itself. Recall that when Habib Nurmagomedov took down Daryl Horcher, he let Horcher underhook. And why? So he could pin it to his side. Now, one, that was so that when he landed on that side, Horcher had no blocking mechanism, but more than that, if I can take your arm and I can pin it to your side for a variety of different purposes, it essentially just becomes an extension of your torso. It no longer becomes this appendage that is the first and oftentimes even the second line of defense. Hands first, elbows second, right? Put your hands out, you have to get past my hands. Put my elbows out, you got to get past my elbows. And then once you're past my elbows and you're inside of my armpits or down on my hips or you pin the arm there, you have... You have moved past the line of defense. So watch this. Look at the elbow come up. He's going to drive it up here. Now, Caraway is probably assisting to some degree because he's going to use his hand under the chin to pull him up. But he gets a, either he gets a little careless or Sterling pushes it in this direction. But this is what you're going to see. Boy, that elbow is way out of position, isn't it? It doesn't. It's it's working as a means of blocking him. But it's not going to work when he tries to shove it back down because he's essentially lost the angle here. Now look where his hips are facing away. His hips are facing into him. We went over this with Demetrius Johnson and Henry Cejudo. He's lost really the value of it. He kind of would need to be more square and then use it as a blocking me mechanism. Now he's given him his ribs. And so when he drives it back down, what you're going to see is it's just going to pin to him and he's going to pin it to him. And get to the back. Now let me go back here for just a second so you can see this real quickly. 
just to understand this. When this elbow is beneath the shoulder, there's really a whole not, whole, not a whole lot he can do. But as the comes up, you can see, look how bent over his posture is, Caraway. Again, hips facing away. This is essentially not... It, it's not that it's not in the way, it is in the way, it's just not really effective when the elbow is outside of the shoulder, when the elbow is outside of the top of the body, or even the outside of the body. Your elbow's got to be in tight, right? Kind of squared up facing him. He's got a good angle on him, he's pushing the elbow up so he can circle away. Caraway's going to try and drive it back down, but as he does that, he just loses everything he has, and Sterling's able to get away. You can actually see the arm here. It, doesn't, it no longer serves any kind of blocking mechanism. So this is, this is what you want to pay attention to in that scramble. Here he's okay, but as he angles out and pushes up, up and away, he's pushing him away at an angle, and he assumes that outside angle in the process. So then he takes the back, and this is what you want to notice here. Uh, so you can see that left arm. It's, not, it's still there. The elbow's inside, but it's not doing a whole lot at this point. What you want to watch here is the left leg. A lot of guys will just wrap that inside part, and that doesn't really do a, a whole lot of good. What you got to do is you got to wrap the inside part and then behind the leg of the other one, right? That's what you want to do because when he turns around and falls backwards, it acts as a trip. That's the key there. So when you see a guy pressing another guy up against the fence and all he does is take you know one hook in on this side and he's not attacking the far leg, you, you, there's not a whole lot you can do from there. But when you put that leg behind the other leg, so you sort of weave it, then it becomes a very powerful tool. So then he gets behind him, sits back. He's got the underhook on the same side as this. Now, what you're going to see is Caraway. You kind of—I didn't get a good picture of it. But what Caraway is doing is with his right hand, he's actually grabbing the left foot of Johnson here, because what he doesn't want him to do is get the body triangle. But of course, he does. So this is a very bad thing because if he doesn't let go on that right side, um, Sterling is going to have you know free access. I think his arm was pinned underneath, um, but it could have come. He could have hand fought it and got out. And he would have been able to use it. So I think Caraway realized, well, I just got to let it go. And he lets it go. And Sterling immediately, yeah, you can see he had the underhook here. Sterling immediately is going to weave this through and get the bi triangle. What you actually notice when you watch it and slow it down is that he, had, he failed on the first attempt, Sterling did, and then recaptures it on the second one. But it was so quick that um, you know there wasn't a whole lot Caraway could do. So he gets the bi triangle here. This is pretty nice. Uh, he's controlling it. Now, look, this is actually. Caraway's doing the right thing. He's trying to get separation between his back and Sterling's chest. He's got it on the foot down. The way this works is you want to be able to... There's two ways to get out of a body triangle, but both involve having the foot down. One is having the foot down, um, putting your leg actually on top of there. Some guys use that to scoop if they have the body triangle, but if you, you there's a way to put your leg down on their foot and then also push down on this knee. It actually creates uh, a foot lock here. Um, but not a lot of guys will tap, I won't say not a lot of guys, some guys just won't tap to that, um, especially if they're flexible and long, I think Sterling is one of those guys, plus to push down the knee, you would have to not, you know, um, protect your neck all that great, especially if it's on this side, so another way to do it is to step out of it, behind it, so get this leg behind this foot, unwrap it, and then slide your shoulders to the mat, they may come to mount, but when they do that, you can time a half guard escape. Uh, so you can at least recapture half guard. And if you can recapture half guard and get an underhook on the same side, then you can stand up. So um, you can see him trying to do that. You have to create separation here. You got to get this leg on the outside of that. You got to twist and then roll. And I guess if you're if you're if you're here and you're looking at Caraway, you'd have to corkscrew counterclockwise, right? You'd have to get this right shoulder all the way to the other side, but he can't. Uh, and as you can see, he pulls him back down. Now, here's where you could get that um, footlock. If Caraway wasn't getting cranked, and you can see, look how his ribs and lats are twisting in the process. But if Caraway wanted to, he could have at least tried. Again, I'm not saying it would have been a good idea necessarily. I think he was just looking to defend his neck. But um, if you want to, he could have tried to push down that knee, and there's a footlock there you can get. Again, doesn't work on everyone. You can actually see him with the other foot here. He's going to look and try and scoop that out. Um, but it's a different time for a different story. All right. So he actually gets it. He actually, I, I recall him reaching down and grabbing that foot. But you can see he's on the outside now of both of the legs. They're still long enough where he can cross them over. This is still pretty secure. Um, and as you can see, the back is now um, attached to the chest of Sterling. But Sterling is just in complete control here. Now you can see Sterling's kind of fallen off here. He's off at a, a hip. The knee is touching the ground. You see Caraway, the blue tape on the gloves, 
holding the uh, right wrist of Sterling. He's going to want to hold that and pull that in um, and even grab this leg and then sort of like, again, corkscrew him to get his hips flat to the mat. But uh, Sterling does a pretty good job of using this arm to never really give Caraway the leverage he needs to get the two-motion action. He needs to hold this and pull, he needs to hold that and pull, and then twist. And this kind of together, this little lock here, prevents it while Sterling is able to sort of reclaim position. Because he just never quite fell off enough, although he got dangerously close. And then he recaptures it, and he's got this. This is terrible for Caraway. Some people think you can do a footlock here, but you actually have to have both feet in there. I've never seen it done with one foot in between. Not saying there's not one there, but you get the idea. Again, Sterling has got the foot down, so this is the beginning of the stage that you need if you're Caraway to get things done, but he's not really in either position to make that work. Again, if you tried to put the footlock here, there would be no footlock. If you tried to push on the knee here, there's not enough torque on the knee to make that work. So that's not going to be there. It would have to be on the outside. Um... And he doesn't have his shoulders even close to the mat or separation. So just a really good job of control on top by Aljamain Sterling here. There are some moments where Caraway kind of, you know, gets a little bit close. Again, whenever you're defending, uh, and I saw this last night. I forget who, what fight it was, but maybe it was the Vitor Miranda fight. I can't quite remember. But some of these guys, they wait until they can completely reverse position. Truth of the matter is, a lot of times when you escape a bad position in jiu-jitsu, you have to build towards it. You have to establish the first condition, then you have to establish the second condition. And some guys are very explosive and they can go from, or maybe it was Abel Trujillo, one of the two. But, you know, these guys, they can go from 0 to 60 right away. But the truth is, you have to go from like 0 to 5, 5 to 15, 15 to 18, 18 to 25, and just slowly kind of build that way. Uh, and then he gets what this like this power, like full Nelson. Um, this looks awful, but it's probably not all that painful. I mean, I'm sure it doesn't feel good. Trust me. You got one hand behind the neck. That's sort of going to act as this like lever to push his head forward um, while he's got control of the arms. Really good job in sort of separating. Look how far away. Again, when your elbows are away from your body, look how weak you are. You can't do anything. You know, that's where you're the very weakest. Now, getting someone's arm there is arms, I should say, is quite the task, but you get the idea. Anyway, and then Sterling is going to drive his head forward. That You know, look, I'm sure it doesn't feel great. You can see that this is not, this is the kind of position your big brother put you in when you were a kid to make you, you know, say horrible things, uh, or if you said horrible things. Uh, okay, then we go, yeah, you can see this. So look, this is the difference for me though. This is like a reverse can opener. Um, in a way, you, you know, you can see him straining here, but the chin, like how much pressure is Sterling going to get pushing his arms away against the back of the head of Caraway, forcing his chin into his chest. I don't think that much. like Enough to make it hurt, but a can opener is when I can bring my elbows inside and I can get the back of your head and I can bring all the power to me. That's very far than, very different than sticking my hands out. So a can opener for folks who may not know is if you're in guard, you have your guard on me and I'm in your guard, I'm going to reach my hands behind your head, almost like a Muay Thai clinch, and I'm going to pull your head into your, your, your I'm going to pull your chin into your chest like this, again, from a different, you know, different position, I'd be, I'd be inside your guard. But again, it's not, it's very different than having my arms and extending them out versus having my arms and extending or, you know, retracting them and bringing your head along with me. Just mechanically, it's a lot more advantageous. So that's what happens in the first round. It kind of finishes there. Really dominant round. Let's take a look at round number two. Okay, now we move to round number two. Now look, here's the interesting part about this. Like, the grappling and control that Sterling showed in the first round was really good. And you're going to see the same thing from Caraway in rounds two and three. But there's nothing really magical about it. Like, I don't... And let me be clear about this. I'm not demeaning it. Um, okay, not everyone's Jacare, right? Not everyone's Demi and Maya. But... Um, it's just good fundamentals. It's just really good fundamentals. And they have some tendencies. Um, you see some things that Sterling does that are interesting and good and, and bad. You see some things that Caraway does that are good, interesting, and bad. Um, here's the interesting thing you want to pay attention to for Caraway beyond just the fact that he's got really good fundamentals. Number one, he always attacks this left side. He always attacks, or I should, excuse me, I should, left on my screen, the right leg, I should say, of Aljamain Sterling. Loves to go for that over and over and over and over again. Not merely as a takedown weapon, but as to angle off to that side. Now, I'm not sure if that's a tendency generally. I'm not sure if that's something they game plan for. I'm not sure if that's something that he saw uh, right in the middle of the fight and just kept going back to it. I'd have to talk to him about it. But just pay attention to how often all the attacks come right here. And then they never stray from that. And if it keeps working, why not keep doing it, right? So here we go. Cutting them off already. 
about two minutes in. The, the first two minutes were not really all that interesting. Um, pushes him back, but this is where I think it sort of get get kind of bad. Now uh, he goes in. You can see right elbow on the outside, but square. See how he squared him? That's very different than what happened to Caraway when his elbow got pushed out. But uh, okay, so Caraway keeps going. He tries to get the you know I think for a double, and then he's going to switch off to a single here. I believe this is if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so he lets go of that leg, so he's no longer on that one, and I think. Sterling's like, eh, I'm probably safe. You know, I got the underhook here, I got the overhook here, got my hips facing out, got my base wide apart. He's going to have a hard time with this one. He's not going to get me. And then Caraway's pretty crafty, so he wraps his leg, and here's what he does. A lot of guys do this and then try and run the pipe sort of in a circular fashion. Caraway just drops his hips as he angles out. He almost sprawls with it. Watch. Boom. Drops his hips. But look at the difference here. He's not dropping his hips straight down here on the side. He scoops it and then rotates as he drops. Where Watch where he ends up. So he's got his right foot on the end of the nationwide sign, right? Look where he ends up. He's got his, that same foot is now on the D and the knee is on the outside as he's kind of angled this way. Really nice job by Brian Caraway. He's got a nice trip there. He's got underrated single legs. A lot of these guys, they try and use these, you know, traditional, I'm going to get my hands clasped together and pull you off the fence and run the pipe. Doesn't really work all that well, but a nice trip, man. You know, when the guy's got his base already far apart for a trip, well, there's different kinds of trips, I suppose, but for some trips, that might be what you want. So he gets it, right? And then he actually rotates him over. Now he's got butterfly guard here, but it's not a true butterfly guard because, well, I mean, it is a butterfly guard, but he's not, um, all he's doing, all his legs are doing is blocking. So. Caraway's not sitting on his legs, which is common in a lot of other, you know, butterfly guard scenarios. Because normally, if someone's got, you know, both of their hands right behind your armpits, they can lift you and turn you and take your back. So he wisely keeps his base up, so this is only just a blocking mechanism. Although even then, you have to be really, really careful. But it's MMA, and the other part is he's got his back against the fence, so there's not necessarily a whole lot he can do. But if I were him, I would have either let go of this and try to scramble forward, or if I'm going to make use of a butterfly guard, like make use of it right away, you know. And then, so you know, rotate your own back to the to the to the to the ground. So he, you can you can see he wisely tries to say, okay, this is not going to go. So I'm going to let this go, and I'm going to try and scoop my hips out and then drive forward on him. Which okay, it makes sense. But what you're going to see Caraway do is a couple of things here. Number one, he makes you pick your poison because if you try to wrestle him, one, he'll sprawl just enough to not give you. You got you can get a hand here, but you're not going to get a hand around because number one, he's going to attack your throat. So you try to wrestle, he's going to attack your throat. Number two. Pay attention to just how far the chest is on the back of Aljamain Sterling here, really putting a lot of pressure down. Um, we're going to talk about this in the third round more especially, but Brian Caraway is a very good pressure passer, surprisingly good. Um, and I say that as someone who is a personal pressure passer. I like to do that. Now, you'll see a lot of big guys like to do that. They're not as mobile. They've got more weight to use. But the truth is, even little guys can do it too if they got you know good fundamentals. And Brian Caraway does. Look again, live toes, live toes, driving in, weight coming down. And he's got a blocking mechanism with the hand while also attacking the throat, making Aljamain Sterling... That you'll see in those different points, Aljamain Sterling tries to get his hands clasped for a single or double and then has to let go because he's going to get choked if he does. So, what you're going to see here is Caraway lets go of the choke, but he gets that same grip on the wrist that he had in the first round where he overhooks the wrist. Now, here he's overhooking the wrist of Sterling from the front, but what he's going to do is he's going to use this to control this hand so he can't get it up and block the spin. Sterling wants to get this hand out and block the spin, but if his hand is trapped, he can't. Caraway is going to block it as he moves. He lets it go. By the time he lets it go, he's already able to pin it and then... Watch, this hand will come to the throat, and the right hand will come on the inside and block him. Bang. Right? Is that right? I think I got that right. Yes. The right hand's on the throat, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, right hand's on the throat. So that was the initial hand that was blocking this one, and now his body is. In fact, if you go one more slide up, you can see, look how extended the arm is. He has to, he has to wedge this free. So really good job in like hand control, timing, pressure, just knowing when to move and how to move and all the steps again. You're not, it's not a back taking one fell swoop. It's not brow on Brad Pickett, but you can build toward things. All right. And of course, again, weight slumped over. You'd be like, oh, there's a fireman's carry here, but he has no ability to, to you know, launch him over. He's just sitting on a knee, flat against the mat, back kind of hunched. Just look how, look how much of the weight 
Sterling has to carry here. It's really hard to move. And meanwhile, he's going to hook that leg. Caraway loves knee uh, leg rides um, and just really good at, at applying pressure. And I think these bantamweight guys aren't quite used to that, you know. Um, and you'll see he goes out here. You can see him go for the choke. Sterling wants to get up and go for the takedown. He's going to make Sterling pick his poison. And he's going to do the, basically the same thing again. He's going to come around. He's going to step wide. Sterling's going to get a leg up to block. He's going to step around it, and he's just going to sit in position. Again, if I can't take your back all the way, I will take your back just enough to make you suffer. I will go. He will rotate back and forward on position. Boom. Gets the throat. He steps out and around his leg. Uh, Caraway steps out and around the hand. The hand comes in to address the choke. As he does, he sits in. Right. He just picks your poison. You're going to put your hands where he's going to make you put your hands. And then when you move your hands, he's going to make moves with his body. Caraway is really good, you know. And then, of course, he flattens him out. And this is really good, too. Chest on chest. And he almost gets a three-quarter mount here if he had gotten his... I mean, pretty much already is a three-quarter mount. Um, but, you know, this is where the round basically ends. Sterling in, in big kind of trouble. All right. So that's round two. Again, nothing major, nothing fantastic, nothing super awesome. Just solid fundamentals consistently applied. Let's take a look now at round number three. All right, here we are in round three. Now look who's doing the, the application of the offense. It's Brian Caraway. Um, Sterling, they gave him the uh, edge and distance strikes here, but you know if you go back and you watch his striking, it just seems purposeless other than as a distance establisher. There didn't seem to be any coherence to it, um, but that's a different argument for a different time. So here you go. Uh, Sterling is backing up again. Caraway's in on him. And where is he on that leg? I'm going to get a good shot of it here. Remember how I told you before, you got to be really deep on a single leg to get it when your leg is between, when their leg is between yours to really finish it. Look how deep he is here. Head on the outside of the hip. Body weight is on top of the leg. Now, Sterling's already down, but he's down because of this. He's down because of the good timing. But look at this. Foot way past, knee deep inside, body on top. That's a deep, deep, deep single leg. That's how you get that done. And again, same side, that right side. He really likes it. Again, not sure if it's something he game planned for Sterling or if it, he favors that right side necessarily, but um, you just see he goes over to that right side again and again and again and again and again. But just want to point out that is, I mean, his back is, you know, you want more, a little more spine neutrality, but it'll take what you can get. That is a really, really deep chest on top of their thigh, shoulder into their hip takedown. That's what you got to get. So he stands, um, Sterling trying to play Caraway's game, choking him to get him to move his hands so he can do things. But Caraway is pretty wise. Now what Caraway does here is he hooks that leg as Sterling tries to stand, even before he tries to stand. But when he sits back down, he grabs it. So you can see they're in this, like, not quite 50-50 guard kind of position, but pretty close. Um, and actually, Sterling does something good here. He's going to do like this. I don't know. It's kind of like a tilt almost in a way. Um, and what he's going to do is he's just going to sit out a little bit and then change the angle of how they face each other um, by changing the position in which they face each other. So you can see him straining here. He's got his hands in a C grip. That's what they call that because they make, you have to make a C. So he sits out a little bit. You can see that, right? And then what he's going to do is he's going to sit out even more. He's going to rotate even more, throw him over his back, and then rotate to his base because that will change the angle at which they face each other. Rotates him over, ab around and above his body. And then he can sit up. So that's a nice little job he does there, right? He sits out, rotates him out, above and around. And when he does, they wind up sort of like, when they come to their base, they face each other this way. Caraway is quick, comes up on him. Does a really good job. I think Sterling actually separates again. And then what winds up happening is Caraway is right back on him. And again, same kind of defense. You got one underhook going on here. You got one overhook. Your base is wide. This is not going to matter to Brian Caraway. He has a really excellent takedown here. I'm not sure what kind of bicep grip. This would have been fine in a different kind of defense for a different position, but he uses it here. I'm not sure if he was trying to set up a some sort of submission when he got taken. I don't really. I'd have to talk to him about what he was doing here because this doesn't make a ton of sense. Because you can wrench someone up, but not not from this and from this kind of position. And again, what's happening? Caraway goes right back to the same exact takedown. It's the exact same one. Look at him hooking the leg, and he's going to do what? Whoop. He's going to sit out. This time, you can see him applying pressure. Now, look at this. You can't quite see his toes, but they're here. He's got the underhook, so he can't get his back taken. Head on head. Look at this. Flatten him out. Hips on the mat. Shoulders basically on the mat. Not quite open guard here. This is terrible. This is terrible. Brian Carraway's doing a really, really good job. Um, you can see here, look at that weight. 
He's kind of got his shoulder up, but he's getting pinned head on head. He's got the underhook here. He's pushing off, pushing off. What you're going to see him do here is he's going to sit his hips out. He's going to bring his own arm in, which you can't see right now, and then he's just going to step over the leg. This is the hand, by the way, of Brian Carraway. So he's got one hand here, and he's driving his right arm all the way across. Now, you see Sterling try to bring the knee inside, but it's a little bit too little too late at this point because he can just drop his hips to one side and then recapture the position and take it and walk his hips back Hoffa Mendez style, right? And this is the arm of, um, of uh, Sterling, but this is the one that's on the inside holding that leg, preventing him from doing too much with it, you know, ro you know occupying that space. Um, so really good job here. One thing you'll notice about uh, Brian Caraway is, aside from being a good pressure passer, he's really good at avoiding um, leg entanglements. Not in so much the heel hook kind of way, but in the way where someone wants to trap you or wrap you up in a guard a certain way or, you know, use their legs as a blocking mechanism for a butterfly or a feet in the hips or whatever. Caraway's really good at getting out of it. So then he steps over, you see, he leans his, his weight out to one side. When he leans his weight out to one side and he occupies that space on the inside, it allows him to just essentially lift his left leg out and around, which is what he does. And then he occupies the space. Now, you'll see uh, this is an attempted triangle here from uh, Sterling. The only real value is he's essentially making Caraway sniff his groin. Um, but other than that, there's, there's nothing really here. He gets out of it. And you can see Sterling, look at the pressure he's applying here. Gasping for air, you can see the striations in his chest from flexing because he's pushing Caraway off of him. You know, he's in trouble. He's in trouble. Caraway's really good at just leaning on you, putting your weight on you. Um, very, very adept at that. And then you see him go right back to that same leg ride, controlling that, that this, this same grip you saw in the first round when he's trying to pull him off of him. You saw in the second round when he used to go take the back. Just really good wrist control, really good weight distribution, really good leg rides from Brian Caraway. He's a good grappler. Again, are you seeing the same kind of magic you see from Demi and Maya or Jacare? You know, maybe not. Maybe he's not that kind of grappler. But, you know, to be an elite MMA fighter, you don't have to be. You can still do all these kinds of really essential, frankly, hard-to-develop fundamentals. Um, and Brian Caraway's got them, you know. Then he takes his back. At this point, I think Aljamain Sterling is kind of desperate. He stands. As my screen will eventually, there we go, stop pixelating. Um, he gets a one-on-one -on -one control here. You can see now who's got the body triangle. It's Brian Caraway, and that's that. And the fight kind of ends here. Uh, Caraway gets dumped to the ground, but he can't get, Sterling can't get him off of him. And this is kind of where the fight goes. So, you know, what is the story of this fight? I gotta be honest. Like again, you're not looking at some kind of jujitsu magic. This is not like the 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 reverse half guard attacks that Maya was using on Gunnar Nelson, which is much more sophisticated. Th this is hard. I don't mean to again. It's gonna sound like oh, they're not as sophisticated as these guys. Well, in a sense, that's true. But but I want to show you that like Aljamain Sterling got beat with just clean fundamentals. Aljamain Sterling, a very good fighter, um, a guy who trains jujitsu all the time, a sensational athlete. You know, maybe it was partly because he got tired. I don't know that he necessarily um, doesn't know how doesn't have awesome defense, but I think there was just strategically some things he could have done differently. There was one time where he got pressured against the fence in that third round, and he sprawled, but he sprawled in a direction away from it, which is really nice. But it just wasn't enough. And when he got against the fence, he thought he was spreading his base wide. Let me go back to this real quickly. He thought he was spreading his base wide right here. Oh, I'm spreading my base wide. All you're doing is giving Caraway the angle he needs. Your separation here is all he needs to get his leg in and then spin. Spin and drop. Spin and sprawl. Um, and that winds up being just enough. Great job by Brian Caraway knowing what he was having to do. Uh, good job by him gutting out that first round. Good job by him and just having really strong weight application, especially for a bantamweight. You don't see a whole lot of that. Hats off to him. He won fair and square. He was the better guy on that night. All right, so let's take a look at, just real quickly, the main event. There's not a whole lot to show here. Um, the fight didn't last that long, and uh, yeah, I'm not sure what to say about it. There's a few things we can say. Um, two things, I get, well, let's, uh, let's count the things that I think won this fight for Cody Garbrandt. Number one, as he noted afterwards, the hand speed. That's only going to be really apparent when you can watch the video. The slides won't really tell that story. It's a limit of the medium I'm working in. But just go back and watch. You can tell there are moments where... Almeida. People are like, oh, his defensive fundamentals are so bad. And and I think there's an argument you can make there. But for example, he was so alarmed by the hand speed that 
what wound up happening was um, he would back up in straight lines. Like he might back up in straight lines anyway, but when you get hit and you're panicked and you're just trying to get out of the way, you know, you can see what happens when you back up straight. Other bad things can happen to you. You can telegraph what a guy should, or you can indicate what a guy should do next. You can sort of lead him in that direction. So I think that was one thing. It's just the hand speed was overwhelming. A, it was forcing him to get, it was causing him to get hit. And then it was sort of leading him in a bad direction subsequently because he just didn't know proper evasion. You know, when you're getting just chewed up, what's the first thing you're going to do is just try to get out of the way. You might just back up straight. So it really messed with his instincts and maybe some of the things he trained on. So that was the first thing. Um, the second thing you're going to see is the is the shifting of uh, Cody Garbrandt. So what is shifting? Shifting is essentially changing stances through a combination. Now, Jack Slack wrote a, wrote a really good article about it. Um, I'm going to put that in the comments so you can check that out and you can read that because he does a really good job of explaining what phase, excuse me, what shifting is and then different kinds of shifting. But we'll just go take a look at a few of these things. So you can see him here. This is where things really begin to kick off that first minute. Um, here we go, right? So we take a look at that. Um, let's take a look at the next slide. So you'll see him jump in the air. He goes actually for a knee. This is actually the kick at the end of it. Here's what I just want to show you. Like the speed and athleticism of Cody Garbrandt, it, Almeida just wasn't ready for it. Now my, my hunch was that Almeida was going to get chewed up early and then survive and then adapt. And that wasn't didn't come to pass because he just got chewed up early and that's all that he got. He just got chewed up early. So... Um, so here we go. He jumps in the air. He throws the knee pretty far away, pushes the kick. I'm not sure if he pushed the kick to think if he could hit him or to push him away. But what you're going to wind up seeing here is he lands. He immediately, I'm talking immediately, ducks the punch, throws his own right, tries to throw a left to the body, misses. But watch him pivot on that front right foot. Bang. Pivots out. And as he's pivoting out, drills Almeida with a big right hand. Pretty Pretty impressive, if I do say so myself, right? Nice little thing he does there. So we're talking about that athleticism. We're talking about that speed, turning on an angle, turning on a dime, and catching a guy who just is, was not prepared. And look at how the feet stumble here of Almeida, right? So that's the first thing I noticed. Again, that speed and athleticism and the explosion, just a little too much for Almeida too early, all right? So here we go. This is, what, this is what I'm talking about. So he's got the left leg forward, right leg back, throws the right. Watch him step through that left lands. As he changes stances, and then he goes back again to the other one. And this one is blocked, but you can see Almeida backing up in a bit of a straight line here. Good job also by Garbrandt. There are a number of times where he had him hurt and pursued and didn't get in too bad of a firefight with him. All right, There were a couple times he got a little close to it, but it wasn't too bad. So there's another one you see, right? He does it again. Launches with the right. This one lands. Phase shifts, but this time he takes a step out. Rather than sort of phase shifting in a, in a relatively linear way, he takes a step out, and you can't see it, but this left cracks Almeida perfectly. This is the best shot I can get. I apologize. Cracks him perfectly here. So you go back to that first set of shifting. It's kind of in a straight line, basically. Look at the head. Straight up. Boom. Just keeps moving forward, blitzing the guy. Second time, throws it, and then steps out. Look at that. Nice job, because he's anticipating the counter. Bang. The right comes nowhere close, steps at an angle, and lands his own left. Now, he's too close to land the right here, but he actually winds up pushing him away and then landing another left. Just a really, really solid job. Proactive on offense, using that hand speed, catching a guy just being a little too defensive, a little too um, just unprepared for what was about to hit him, really. And here's the final sequence, because there's not much more than this. So, he... Jabs him, sort of. Uh, again, he steps through a combo. I think, he, I think, did he go with the jab first? No, he kind of does like a, this leaping left hook. Uh, now, you see Almeida does a good job in not just parrying it, but then angling out. But he's behind the black lines. He's actually already hurt a little bit because he's been rocked, you know, just a few seconds ago. So what winds up happening is Garbrandt does a good job of following through and stepping through. And again, he's, you can just see him measuring here. I mean, look at that right, ready to uncork. But he doesn't throw it from this angle. He actually waits just off a half beat. He gets Almeida to parry, or think he's parrying, as he moves laterally. So by the time he lands that crushing right, he's actually right in front of him. So he changed the angle as he set up the punch, so that when the final punch came, the angle had already been adjusted. Watch again. This is really, really smart by Cody Garbrandt. 
All right, so we're here. This is where the sequence is ending, okay? They're kind of facing each other here. He kind of leaps in. Almeida shifts to his right on the outside, parrying that out. Okay, pretty good. You know, at least showing some life, right? Garbrandt keeps pressuring him forward, but he gets his back against the cage. When the back goes against the cage, people tend to get a little bit tall. They obviously can't move. And then rather than trying to bang him out right here, which is what Almeida is anticipating, he waits another second, takes another step, and crushes him with his right hand. And that was the one that basically closed the show and Almeida falls. Just, just really good timing, really good, obviously just hard to deal with speed. The power is, <laughs> you know... Uh, not a joke from Cody Garbrandt, and um, you know, just smart strategy. He admitted the guy's a slow starter. I'm gonna have to start quickly, and that's exactly what he did. He went out and took it to him, and uh, he did it in an extraordinarily impressive fashion. So the hand speed um, employed, you know, smart shifting, changed up the shifting from straight on to stepping out at angles, and just showing that athleticism when he threw the knee, ducked. Pivoted on that on that front foot and then cracked him with the right hand at the same time. And it is, you know, if you're pivoting one direction and throwing the the other, that is very very difficult to do. And you know, an athlete like Cody Garbrandt can do it. But um, amazing performance by him. I thought Almeida would hang on a little bit longer and you know show us some of the skills he has, but it wasn't to be today. Great great job by Cody Garbrandt. All right, and then uh, lastly, segment three, we just take a look at what's ahead. There's not a Bellator or World Series of Fighting event, I think, for two weeks. Um, but there is one UFC event next week, UFC 199. This will take place at the Forum in Inglewood, California. I believe this is where Magic Johnson announced he had HIV, if I'm not mistaken, among a number of other um, well, real sporting achievements. I wouldn't call that a sporting achievement necessarily, but maybe a human achievement, a human triumph um, in some kind of way, right? ultimately anyway. I don't know where I'm going with that. Anyway, uh, this will take place at the Forum in Inglewood, California. It's on June 4th. This will be on pay-per-view for the main card. Um, headlined by Luke Rockhold versus Michael Bisping. We all know about that. That's for the middle middleweight title. Dominic Cruz versus Uriah Faber for the bantamweight title. Max Holloway versus Ricardo Lamas, an important featherweight contender fight. Dan Henderson versus Hector Lombard. Could be the end of the road for old Hendo. We'll see. Dustin Poirier taking on Bobby Green. A big fight for Green and a big fight for Poirier too, man. Move to the prelim card. Brian Ortega taking on Clay Guida. We'll see how that wrestling takedown defense looks for Ortega. But Neil Dariush gets back in action against James Vick. Man, that's a very tough fight for both of those guys. Uh, Jessica Penny taking on Jessica Andrade. Good to see Penny back after that beating she took at the hands of uh, Ian Jacek. Cole Miller versus Alice Caceres. That, of course, originally was the BJ Penn fight. And before that, the Dennis Seaver fight. Um, on Fight Pass, Sean Strickland taking on Tom Breeze. Tom Breeze, the welterweight prospect. That should be fun to watch. Jonathan Wilson versus Luis Enrique Da Silva. Kevin Casey's on this card against Elvis Mutopchich. And then Polo Reyes taking on Don Hyung Kim. Uh, not the Don Hyung Kim. I think a different Don Hyung Kim. All right, so there you go. And, of course, the main card will be on pay-per-view. That's it for us. If you have any corrections or any notes or anything you want to send me, um, you can do so. Uh, I'm on Twitter at SBNLukeThomas. Um, and I'm at email Luke.Thomas at SBNation.com. Give me a follow. You can follow me on Snapchat, TheLukeThomas79. Give this video a thumbs up. Share it around. Congrats to everyone who won. I uh, hope you're celebrating and honoring this Memorial Day in the way that is appropriate, uh, however that means for you. To everyone who has served on Veterans Day, of course, what's more pronounced, but certainly, certainly to everyone who has died in the service of this country. Um, as a veteran, I say uh, you have my utmost appreciation in ways I can't even really communicate through language, but know that it is there. And to all of you guys, thank you so much for watching. Until next time, enjoy the fights.